Scripture shapes the lives of millions of people around the world, yet scriptures, both the Bible and the Qur'an, only gain meaning when they are interpreted by the human mind. Mind in Scripture, a podcast from the Department of Theology at the University of Notre Dame, explores the meeting of reason with the scriptures of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I'm Gabriel Said Reynolds, Professor of Islamic Studies and Theology in the World Religions World Church Program here at Notre Dame, and joining Joining me here are my friends, Professor Francesca Murphy. Hi. Professor Svi Novik. Hello. And Professor Munim Suri. Hello. Friends, we have an especially exciting episode to share with you today. We'll be speaking about lust and chastity and the Quran and a bit about its biblical background. Um, the Quran speaks frequently of marriage. And it also warns against indecency and lewdness. It shares with the Bible a concern with illicit sexual acts. So how does the Qur'an portray sexual desire or lust? What are the practices or dispositions that the Qur'an recommends for Muslims to avoid sexual indecency? How do these agree or differ with the teachings of the Bible? These are some of the questions we'll be asking today. And inasmuch as we're focusing on the Qur'an, we will be putting Munim on the hot seat our uh, specialist in Islamic studies. And I think, Munim, we might start just with a general overview of what the Qur'an says about sex and desire. Sure. The Qur'an recognizes the sexual need of human beings, and it does not recommend that the natural instinct be suppressed, but rather that should be nurtured. God created human beings with such desire and sexual need. I think the Quran view on sex and sexuality fall under the general principle that everything God created is for reasons. God created human beings with sexual organ, and they have purpose. And there is nothing in the Quran that seems to associate sex with evil. So the Quran certainly disagree with the suppression of, 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 of sexual activity, but rather it promotes its fulfillment. So there is a beautiful passage in the Quran, which is a chapter 30, verse 21, saying that among the science of the divine is that he created for you from among yourself a spouse in order for you to find tranquility. And he placed between you love and mercy. This is beautiful, a passage in the Quran in which having spouse can serve as a source of comfort, peace, and enjoyment, which is very recommended in the Quran. I was going to say about the first part of your, your answer before you quoted that um, beautiful verse. Um, there's clearly a contrast here, at least with certain um, elements of Christian tradition. I mean, there's a long tradition, as you know, of monasticism and the religious life. Yes. Um, with, when we could speak about it further. But the Quran doesn't have a place, or at least Islamic tradition doesn't seem to have a place for monasticism or the vow of celibacy that a monk or someone in the religious life would take? Yeah, you, you can find in the uh, prophet traditions in which one of the companions of the prophet named Uthman bin Bad'un whose wife came to the prophet saying that her husband 
uh, fast throughout the day and didn't sleep throughout the night. And the Prophet came to this person, Usman bin Ba'un, saying that, I'm not sent by God to encourage monasticism, but rather I fast, I eat, and I go to my wife. So certainly there is a very explicit rejection of monotheist life that, that can be found in the prophetic traditions. This is interesting. If I yeah, could uh, ahead, jump please. in here um, about uh, Judaism, you find uh, a, couple, uh, a number of things that are familiar from the discussion about Islam here. First, uh, th that verse that you quoted about God or Allah creating for you from yourselves mates that you may find tranquility recalls one of the wedding blessings about God uh, creating uh, from the man uh, uh, um, a... Uh, a, a foundation for um, for life together, uh, but then also this kind of a resistance to monasticism, and in particular also the kind of um, the the voice of the uh, of the woman kind of being heard uh, in expressing that resistance or that reluctance. There are stories in the Babylonian Talmud uh, that uh, kind of speak of men who adopt a kind of a monastic life for the sake of studying Torah. Uh, for the sake of, of, of studying um, uh, God's law. Uh, and uh, we hear uh, the perspective, we see the perspective of the wives, uh, and the, the Babylonian Talmud is very uh, kind of sympathetic yeah, uh, to the wives and ultimately comes down uh, um, or expresses a lot of ambivalence about this idea. I, I was thinking too of, I mean, related, there are two hadith or sayings mm -hmm. of, of the Prophet um, one of which I think simply says "La fil Islam." There yes. is no monasticism in Islam, and right. another one that's something like I'll probably get it wrong, but "Rahbaniyat, mm -hmm. rahbaniyat al umma al jihad." Right. The monasticism of this community is jihad. Right. So there's obviously awareness that there were Christians who were going off being celibate, ded dedicating their life to to God alone and not being married. Um, but uh, a rejection of this for, for the community. There are a number of uh, hadiths um, encouraging marriage, certainly, one of which that, the Muh that Muhammad says that marriage is uh, my sunnah. Uh, whoever rejects marriage, he is not part of me. Another hadith saying that marriage is half of religion, and the other half is fearing God, taqwa. So there are many hadiths encouraging uh, Muslims to get married and, and avoid uh, monastic life. So before we go further into marriage, maybe we could just turn to the, the question of sexual desire. And, and Munim, you spoke about the positive perspective of the Qur'an on the sexual instinct of humans. Yeah. Um, the Qur'an also has, has concern, and I think we'll speak about this in a moment, with what it calls shahwat or shahwa, so the yearnings maybe of the human person. Um, uh, what what I am thinking of with the English word lust. Yeah. Um, the Bible too is concerned with this um, in different ways. Um, could we um, maybe Francesca and Svi, um, could you offer some insight into the biblical perspective on lust or? illicit desire the biblical quotation which comes to mind is matthew 5 27 
You have heard, sorry, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the problem hmm. with lust is that it's adultery in advance. It's mental adultery. It's spiritual adultery, as it were. Right, and that recalls, of course, the uh, the last of the uh, of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, uh, which to, to a certain extent might be understood as um, underwriting them all, or at least maybe bookending with the beginning of the Decalogue, uh, the Ten Commandments by way of underwriting them all. Um, that prohibits uh, desire. Um, Thou shalt not uh, cover if, thy neighbor's wife, nor his ox, right, so nor first, his ass, and all of those things. Right, exactly, <laughs> right, right. But starting, but starting with the wife, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, though, I mean, of course, I mean, it's 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 complicated. I mean, I suppose because um, I mean, well, so, so right, so, so you do have this um, uh, um, uh, this this prohibition. Uh, in the um, in the Decalogue, and then you do have um, Matthew, the Matthew passage that you mentioned, Francesca, and then a number of stories. I would say that kind of thematize the danger or the concern. Um, but then, uh, I mean, you do also have uh, right from the very beginning. I mean, in the creation of uh, man and woman, uh, man and woman in uh, the, the Genesis two, you have. Um, uh, this expression of the idea that um, a man mm. shall leave his mother, his father and mother, al Kenya azov ish et aviv et imo v'davak b'ishto, and he shall cling to his wife, v'hayul v'asarachad, and they shall be one flesh. Uh, what is that clinging? I mean, that 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 language of clinging, davak, uh, the modern Hebrew word for glue is devek, uh, related to it. Um, <laughs> but uh, that clinging is certainly a verb that's used in the context of um, of what we might ordinary, otherwise translate as lust. Uh, Genesis 34 is one of those stories of uh, lust gone very wrong. This is the, the case of Jacob's wife, uh, Jacob's daughter, rather, uh, Dina. Um, um, and there you have, right, uh, this, um, uh, this man clinging to and uh, it appears raping um, Jacob's daughter, Dina, uh, but that same that same verb is used, um, and so and it's even um, and and uh, so that 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 verb of, or that that ideal I suppose uh, of clinging that you have there right at the outset of Genesis does seem to involve uh, some co- some sort of deep attachment and and perhaps even uh, kind of one that's associated elsewhere with um, with sex. Um, but that, that's so, where the, the man is clinging to the woman. Right. And then subsequently in Genesis 3, I, I think, I might get this wrong, but as the punishments are sort of meted out, um, isn't one of the punishments for the woman that her yearning shall be for her husband? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, the, 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 ver- the, the word that's verb. used there is not, it's not the same one. It's right, tishuka. Uh, 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 or, or, or this, the, the Greek translation maybe suggests a different text there. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, right, yeah, so it's, that, that's an interesting one, right, because there it's yeah. put right in the context. It appears almost uh, to, uh, to be framed there as something negative. Uh, 
uh, right? Your, your yearning shall be toward him and he shall rule over you. So, um, right, what exactly is intended there with that word? Uh, that's a bit puzzling. Um, but in, uh, in, in any case, though, I'd say, right, that Genesis 2 uh, yeah, does arguably uh, kind of put forward that emotional slash, slash emotional sexual attraction as part of uh, as part of an ideal uh, in the a relationship part, between the man and the woman. The right. sexual attraction to your wife is good, uh, but adultery in your heart, in other words, outside of marriage, that's what's wrong, would you say? Sexual mm-hmm. attraction to your wife right, is right, good. I think. David's attraction to somebody else's wife, Bethsaida, is bad. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that maybe brings us back to the Quran because Munimu introduced us to the positive um, appraisal of the Quran in regard to the sexual instinct. Um, but like uh, some passages in the mm-hmm. Bible that we were beginning to discuss, uh, the Quran is, is concerned with, it uses different vocabulary. It's yeah. concerned with fornication. It's yeah. concerned with what we introduced briefly, the shahwa, this, mm-hmm. this um, yearning, or, uh, I don't know, um, desire. Con- concupiscent desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Could you introduce us further yeah, to that? Yeah, the, the Quran, um, we find in the Quran something similar to uh, what Francisca just mentioned. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in chapter 17, verse uh, 32, the Quran says, do not approach uh, adultery. So, in the, not the only word there that is adultery is prohibited, right. but anything that will lead to adultery is also prohibited. Yes. So, on the basis of this verse, uh, some conservative ulama argue that ulama things... Being, sorry, just for the audience. Uh, ulama uh, being yeah, Muslim I mean, scholars. A Muslim scholar <laughs> argue that things like dating mixing of sexes or minimal dress or nudity or pornography are prohibited primarily because they can lead to adultery. I've even read uh, a recent opinion of a contemporary Muslim scholar who mm-hmm. said this is one of the principal reasons for the prohibition of, of alcohol in yes. Islam because it lowers inhibitions and can lead to, to fornication. To yeah, illicit this, this question of pornication, adultery has been treated in detail in Islamic jurisprudence in particular. But interestingly, the word fornication or adultery in Islam in, in Arabic is zina. The term zina and its derivative only occur in four verses in the Quran. Okay. One of which is do not approach uh, fornication or just you know general prohibition of fornication such as you know do not steal do not commit fornication um, and, and another verse dealing with fornication is punishment for fornication so while the Quran mentioned on you know fornication only a few times but this issue has been treated in much detail especially concerning the kind of punishment for adultery um, as, as you know that, you know, we find in the Quran that adultery will be punished by um, either stoning or uh, lashes, depending on the nature of those who commit uh, adultery. 
don't know if this is a time Maybe, to Mooney, enter into the debate. If I could follow up, just Go I'm ahead, curious. Um, I mean, in addition to the to the concern about um, uh, lust outside of the framework of uh, the um, marriage relationship, is there also, even though there isn't, um, even though there isn't monasticism, uh, and there are some explicit statements uh, that preclude monasticism. Is there the sense that uh, uh, a sexual uh, relationship is not uh, kind of appropriate for contexts of for, for contexts involving encounters or proximity to God? I mean, I think coming from the biblical mm-hmm. uh, framework uh, of uh, you know, while Judaism, uh, as I mentioned, doesn't have an institution of monasticism and has a similar kind of um, uh, similar traditions uh, Im- uh, implicitly uh, or even explicitly combating it, uh, it does recognize in the biblical text itself uh, this ideal that, um, you know, at Sinai, um, in-, in light of the-, the theophany, the coming appearance of God, um, men and women are supposed to uh, separate from each other, not-, not-, not approach each other sexually for three days in advance of that. Um, and um, yeah, so I wonder whether we find uh, a kind of a similar, similar notions uh, in Islamic thought or practice. Yeah, when when the Quran talk about uh, sexual relations, it is always within the bond of marriage. But he, I, I, if I understand the question precisely, I, I, there could be an example of the sort of prohibition that Sfi is speaking about in the Hajj, the the pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. During which time, I believe, but correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, sexual activity is not is not permitted. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, you're in a state of, of of purity which prohibits sexual relations. I there think. are there are there are mm-hmm. some con, you know con, you know situation where um, having sexual activities even with their wife is prohibited, yeah. including you know during a pilgrimage or. Um, during men- menstruation, you know, wife menstruation. So in in those uh, situations, uh, even with 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 wife uh, having sexual uh, activity is is, is prohibited. Yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, um, yeah, it's interesting. I suppose right. I find that interesting because it does sort of complicate. Uh, I mean, insofar as it kind of suggests a, a certain um, um, kind of framework of holiness within which. Uh, even licit or even encourage sexual activity uh, is otherwise uh, uh, is is in this context discouraged. Uh, it does uh, kind of indicate uh, a certain uh, ambivalence about mm-hmm. even that licit or encouraged sex, um, and, it does, and and uh, and and the importance of um, delimiting it uh, and making sure that it doesn't occur, at least within certain contexts, demanding a special holiness. I think we might turn to back to the Bible and um, address this question of the the danger of excess and illicit sexual relations. Um, we heard from Francesca about um, the words of Jesus in regard to um, des- desiring um, desiring another a woman who's not your wife as a sort of adultery. Um, but there are other there are other anecdotes which illustrate or animate what happens when you carry out real adultery. 
or fornication. Um, uh, I don't know which which of those best illustrates the principle of lust. I was thinking of the story of of Judah and um, uh, and his sexual Tamar? adventure. Exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. I suppose Judah. The, the, the case of Judah, I suppose, is a little bit uh, complicated. This is in uh, in uh, right within the, the larger Joseph story, Joseph story, and specifically within uh, chapter thirty-seven uh, of the, uh, uh, rather, I'm sorry, uh, thirty-eight of the uh, of the of Genesis. Um, the, yeah, and he. I mean, Tamar's um, been wrong, so she wants to sort of get her revenge in a way, right? Uh, right, right. So she conceals her uh, herself as a prostitute, and then he uh, he sleeps with her. Though in that, that context, it doesn't seem like there is anything particularly problematic about the uh, um, about the about Judah uh, sleeping with a prostitute. That's not thematized in that story. I guess what's thematized in that story is more uh, the fact that or that that. Uh, uh, Tamar has um, become uh, pregnant, uh, even though she, um, uh, even though she is bound to another. So that story, I guess, uh, is is a bit complicated, or uh, I don't know if it yields a, a clear message when okay. it comes to lust. But I suppose elsewhere in the jo- elsewhere in the same narrative in the Joseph story, uh, you have uh, this famous story of Joseph, uh, famous also, of course, uh, for its treatment uh, in Islam of in uh, Joseph yes. and the wife of Potiphar. Uh, and Joseph becomes sort of a, a model within uh, within Judaism for uh, sexual chastity, in particular. Uh, right, he is sold as a slave to Egypt, uh, and uh, then becomes a servant in the I, household. I think also in of, Islam. I wanted to mention Pot- Tamar here. Um, you know where Tamar comes up in uh, the New Testament mm-hmm. is in the genealogy right. Matthew's right. genealogy of right. Jesus, because. Yep. All of his forefathers were born on the wrong side of the blanket, <laughs> like all of them. Uh, so that uh, the, the, you know, they're all illegitimate. So he comes from this long line of prostitutes mm. and I- illegitimate children. Now, I mean, that's what Matthew's saying. Yes, Rahab's and, and, and uh, Jesus, of course, is born on the wrong side of the blanket as well. So it, it's a sort of straight thing. Well, yeah. So Tamar is actually very important as a kind of archetype of Mary in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's perceived as he is, obviously, from the biblical narrator's perspective. But yeah. he is born on the wrong side of the blanket. Yeah, just because... Uh, can you explain further? Uh, yes, I mean, he... Um, I mean, uh, you want me to explain, like, the Holy Spirit and Mary? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's just it's not the same as Judah and Tamar or or Rahab the prostitute or even maybe Ruth and Boaz, um, right? It's a different. But uh, it's a miraculous situation in each of yeah. those. Yeah, and it is a kind of like it's, it's Matthew sets it out as Jesus's precedence. Right, right. I I did want to I don't know Munim if you wanted to comment on uh, I mean it's a very prominent story in in the twelfth chapter mm-hmm. of the Quran. The uh, in the Quran, uh, the wife of Potiphar is known as the 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 wife of El Aziz, mm-hmm. which is probably just a nickname for Potiphar, the powerful one of Egypt. But I think in Islamic tradition, uh, that story becomes important, and Joseph as a sign of his continence or or chastity is is important. Yeah, I mean, in in in, in chapter uh, twelve of the Quran, uh, in, in chapter on on Joseph itself. Um, uh, there is a, a theme of temptation there that uh, Joseph was seduced um, 
uh, by the woman, but he uh, kept chastity, you know, with himself. So yes, I mean, uh, Joseph is a symbol of of being chaste uh, in, in in the sense that he rejects the temptation of woman. Right. And that's where you have the famous phrase, I think spoken by the wife of Potiphar, where she mm-hmm. says, uh, inna nefsa amaratun lisu, so, that the, the inner soul commands one to evil as yes. a way of, I mm. guess, of explaining her actions and trying mm-hmm. to seduce Joseph. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe this is a good time to, to take a brief break and there'll be more lust and chastity coming up stay with us also um, don't forget to review and rate Mining Scripture we'll be right back welcome back to Minding Scripture where we're speaking about lust and chastity I'm going to turn to Munim to speak about the consequences of sexual indecency or impropriety. How does the Quran encourage um, dealing with or teach how to punish sexual impropriety or, or fornication? Well, the punishment for adultery is mentioned in the Quran. There is no doubt about that. So those who say that there is no punishment for adultery is Disindigenous. So uh, there is um, a a verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 2, which basically says that female adulterer and male adulterer, each one of them must be uh, a flock with 100 times. So, um, and some scholars also develop the idea on the basis of prophetic tradition that. Uh, you know, those married, you know, men, uh, male and female, who committed adultery must be stoned. However, in practice, the punishment of adultery is not as black and white as people might think. Because even during the time of the Prophet, there are examples in which the Prophet himself avoid implementing the punishment for adultery. Uh, another, you know, good example of this, you know, taking place during the time of Abu Bakr, who was the first caliph after the death of the Prophet. It is reported that, um, you know, one uh, adulterer came to Abu Bakr saying that he committed he committed adultery, and a worker said, "Did you tell anybody other than me?" He said, "No, I just tell this to you," and Abu Bakr said, "Then go uh, ask." Forgiveness. God is, you know, uh, most merciful. So this idea about mercy um, of uh, the punishment of adultery is evident. I can can be found in the early history of of Islam. And the Quran, of course, emphasizes mercy throughout. It's in the opening invocation of all of the surahs except for one. And yes, yeah. Francesca and Sfi, what about biblical uh, perspectives about? dealing with punishing sexual impropriety? Uh, well, I mean, I, I suppose I'd say that, I mean, uh, um, as in the, in the case of um, Islam, there is a, a clear um, sanction, uh, right? there's a clear biblical sanction for it. There, there, there is the death penalty. Um, but uh, uh, certainly within the Jewish tradition, uh, 
it doesn't uh, it, it never uh, denies that principle uh, but in general um, the, the rabbis so construct um, uh, legal um, or criminal procedure uh, so as to make uh, imposition of the death penalty a near impossibility uh, in any case given uh, the history of Judaism uh, uh, the entire history of uh, of Judaism, you know, after the Bible occurs uh, within the within an exilic context uh, and without the power of the state, so uh, practical question of uh, of uh, uh, a criminal uh, criminal punishments or death penalty becomes moot. Um, but it does it, it, Judaism doesn't um, doesn't renounce that principle uh, as a uh, you know as an indication of the. Um, sanctity and uh, and significance of that marital bond. I mean, but I suppose I did want to. I mean, I guess uh, to, to pick up on that on that on this point. I mean, uh, so uh, uh, the the crime of adultery in the Bible is very frequently correlated with the crime of worship of foreign gods. Right. Right. Uh, and so, um, and p- part of I suppose what what drives the um, the, 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 the significance of uh, the crime of adultery is that analogy, uh, but then the obverse of that is uh, is that uh, that relationship between uh, between man and wife, um, even in its a passionate aspect, or perhaps especially in its passionate aspect, does become a model in the Bible for the relationship between uh, God and Israel in the Bible and in, and in. Uh, and in the Jewish interpretation of it, I mean, Song of the Song of Songs is the signal example of this, where you have a, a, a biblical book wholly dedicated to um, the, um, the passionate relationship between a man and a woman, sometimes reaching its its culmination. Uh, it's never um, kind of uh, sexually ex- very sexually explicit. It always speaks in metaphors, but it's certainly describing a passionate sexual relationship. Uh, and in the um, in the Jewish tradition, uh, this is taken to be a coded description of the relationship between God and the people of Israel. Uh, and, and, and so, this is, uh, sorry to jump mm-hmm. in, but Francesca, this is this is where Paul is. Is this the origin of Paul's analogy between of of the church as the bride of Christ? Is it following from this? this Old Testament concept? Yes. I mean, I I think that uh, the Hebrew Bible seems to describe the love of God for humanity as being, having this erotic note, as being like the love of a man for his wife. And Jesus is celibate. I guess it's because Jesus is celibate that Christianity has monasticism. But why is Jesus celibate? Because he's married to the church. I mean, he's not celibate for celibacy's sake. Yes. He's celibate <laughs> because he's married to the church. Which Paul develops in Ephesians, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And maybe that, uh, that, that the, uh, the, the erotic aspect of it that you mentioned, I mean, it calls to mind for me, there is a... Uh, the, 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 so later, later Jewish tradition, I suppose, also picking up on these same texts that uh, that Paul uh, and uh, and Christianity are picking up on. Um, but the, the Babylonian Talmud, in particular, sort of revels in 
kind of developing this uh, uh, this metaphor in all its erotic character, but it speaks of the um, the pilgrimage festival. Uh, Israel uh, Israelites are supposed to uh, undertake a pilgrimage to the Jerusalem Temple uh, three times a year, uh, and there, according to one passage in the Babylonian Talmud, uh, they uh, they have they see the ark. Uh, with the cherubs upon them, uh, and the cherubs are, and the cherubs embrace. Um, uh, uh, how exactly the the this passage is reading the biblical text describing the cherubs is not clear, but the cherubs embrace in, as a man and a woman, and uh, and the lesson that uh, the pilgrim is supposed to take from this uh, vision is right. See. Uh, God's love for you is like the love of a man for a woman. Uh, so there you kind of have that right. uh, kind of desire uh, in, in both directions, uh, kind of a mutual desire that's supposed to be uh, kind of ensconced and uh, and uh, within the you know the very holy of holies uh, right. upon the ark of the covenant. So turning back to the question of the Quran, Munim, and um, we're developing this rich metaphor in the Bible, but I understand yeah. in the Quran you don't have this metaphor between God and the Islamic community as a relationship between husband and wife. It's not, it's not a metaphor in the yes, Quran. Yes, it's not there. Um, uh, although it does speak of God's love for the believers, for the righteous. And, um, in terms of, of chastity, I, I felt a little awkward about this term because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the Quranic term is that would correspond to chastity. Yes. Maybe if you have a thought about that. But also, what what is the Quran? How does the Quran encourage chaste behavior? Um, what dispositions lead to, to living um, a chaste life? Yeah, the Quran emphasized the importance of being chaste um, and avoiding um, sexual uh, decency. And in particular, the Quran prays men and women who maintain their chastity with them by guarding their uh, sexual organs. So there is um, a common theme in the Quran um, saying that Alladina hum lifurujim havidun, those who guard their chastity. This is the translation of Abdul Halim. Uh, those who guard their chastity, although the Those term for chastity here yeah. is furuj, yes. which literally means sexual organ. Right, right. And at least in two places in the Quran that we find uh, that uh, the Quran prays Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, yeah. for being chast because she got her furuj against, uh, yeah. which is quite, quite, uh, quite prominent in the Quran that chastity, chastity is associated with guarding their sexual organ. So we find uh, in chapter 66, verse 12, for instance, which refer to, uh, to Mary. Uh, this is the translation of Abdul Halim. And Mary, the daughter of Imran, she guarded the, her chastity, and we breathed into her with our spirit, and she accepted the truth of her Lord. So this is, you know, quite important how the Quran emphasized the importance of 
That's so, just so is it only a woman's job? I mean, we, we hear about <laughs> uh, here the case of Mary, but women generally being encouraged to guard their private parts. Oh, yeah, parts. of course. Yeah, I mean, but is it only the woman's job to be chased? Does uh, a man have a role? No, yes, of course. Of course, men have a role. Um, so uh, there is a passage in the Quran saying that if you cannot avoid marriage, the one thing that you can do is to keep chastity with you. So uh, this is reflected in uh, chapter 24, verse 20, uh, 33, which, you know, address uh, men instead of women. Well, mm-hmm. uh, The translation here is that those who are unable to marry should keep chest until God gives them enough out of his bounty. So this verse addressed to men instead of I've, women. I've heard people say, I'm just going to sort of say this straight out, and you can <laughs> criticize me or Svi or Francesca if you have comments, but I, I've heard people say that, well, men have certain restrictions of clothing, and maybe we'll dedicate sure. another episode of clothing, yeah. but really it's a, it's a woman's job to be properly uh, decent and modest in her clothing, um, the reason why in a mosque, for example, men pray, men pray in front and women behind is because it could lead to temptation if women prayed in front. And the man's job is to lower his gaze. Um, is that basically faithful to the Quran or is it more complicated than that? No, it's more complicated because both men and women are encouraged to lower their gaze. Mm-hmm. So chapter 24, uh, verse 31, uh, 30 and 31 address both uh, uh, men and women. So uh, verse 30, for instance, saying that tell believing men to lower their glance and to guard their private part. And then the verse after address women with the same mm-hmm. uh, you Admission know, wording, or exhortation. Uh, saying yeah. that tell believing women that they should lower their glance and guard their private part. Mm-hmm. So these two verses address both uh, male and female. Very good. Mm. Uh, Svi, um, Francesca, w- w- how does the Bible encourage a chaste disposition? Right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly uh, does. Uh, uh, I mean, th- there isn't the same sort of, uh, I suppose, detailed um, legislation about or exhortations about uh, a specific, um, a specific clothing or even physical gestures so much i mean there is uh this is not uh this is again to put it in the realm of holiness but i think about uh in the book of exodus uh um the there is a command uh, oddly kind of uh it it ends kind of the uh the passage with a decalogue um one should not have a uh the altar should not have steps going up toward it uh, because uh, if you have steps, then you'll reveal your nakedness right. uh, when you walk up the steps. Right. Right. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, but uh, in fa- uh, as far as uh, uh, relationships between uh, men and women and, and, and endorsing uh, chastity, I don't know that there are specific practices. Of course, this goes, that does become very well developed in uh, in Jewish tradition and in Jewish interpretation. I mentioned the Song of Songs. Um, one you know that in, the song um, of in songs. Orthodox Judaism, yeah. uh, the uh, a women wear a wig. Is that to do with chastity? Well, actually, that's the very verse that I was about to. <laughs> okay, sorry, to, to, to interrupt. I, I just uh, wondered. 
yeah yeah but but absolutely that um well um um uh so so uh, the, the so all of the kind of uh features um that the man identifies as uh as desirable in the song of songs uh then become um uh, uh, taken up in uh, the Jewish tradition as something that uh, that ought to be uh, protected uh, in order to um, in order to avoid exciting lust and uh, and I think it, it it is pretty clear that there that there that there is a, a gendering um, of these um, uh, of these injunctions in Jewish tradition and so yeah so there does emerge then this uh, this notion that uh, hair itself. Uh, can constitute a kind of nakedness, uh, and therefore okay. A, okay. Um, a well, in particular, a married woman uh, should uh, should cover her hair. Um, and how exactly uh, to cover the hair? Um, is it with a kerchief or a hair covering, um, or even through shaving the hair and then wearing a wig? Uh, that's in a, a more um, um, uh, ultra orthodox um, uh, circles. But uh, but but. Uh, Yes, so, so wig wearing is, belongs to that um, voice also. Uh, so the Song of Songs does specify, right? The, the man asks the woman, uh, "Let me hear your voice, uh, for your voice is sweet, Kikolei Harev." Uh, and so this becomes the basis for a traditional uh, prohibition called Kol Isha, the voice of a woman, uh, where it's understood that the voice of the woman uh, can excite lust, uh, and therefore. Um, again, within orthodox or ultra-orthodox contexts, um, there is this understanding that women should not sing uh, in a public um, that contains men. Uh, it's fine for women to sing among women, uh, but not before men. Um, so, yeah, but this is all, right, uh, it occurs within the uh, within uh, rabbinic Jewish kind of uh, interpretation of uh of scripture. Svi and Francesca, does the story of David and Bathsheba, um, is it um, is it a sort of admonition or a, a, a exemplary tale um, for both the man and the woman? Because Bathsheba, I mean, he sees her bathing. I don't know where her bath was, but he could <laughs> see her from the palace, I guess, right, in the story? And so, uh, it, do you see what I mean? Is it is it an example of how not to behave for both men and women? No, it's not saying anything about Bathsheba, I don't think. She's just taking a bath, yeah. and he's being a peeping Tom. <laughs> and uh, he, he sees her. But um, the, the most, one of the most well-known stories in the New Testament is in John 8, uh, about the woman taken in adultery. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going to stone her to death. The man has run away, and they're going to stone her to death. And Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so here, it's gonna, it seems like a kind of internalization of these things, which are uh, like it, the, the, the act of adultery. I don't think Jesus is saying that all the, all the people standing around have literally commit adultery, but just that everyone has done it in their hearts. Yes. And so... Uh, they can't cast a stone at somebody who's literally done it. Do you think that's what the story means? Hmm. I've always thought of it as a um, an affirmation that um, that there 
uh, everyone has sinned and um, that it's related to the the others Jesus saying where you are not to judge that you should remove yeah. the log from your own eye before pointing out the speck of dust in another's mm-hmm. um, yeah but so, there does seem to be there then a sort of uh, uh, a sort of pushing back against uh, or s- singling out uh, this particular right pornea or, or sexual sin as uh, mm-hmm. As, uh, as something kind of unto itself and uh, uh, yeah insisting on a, on a more kind of general inclination or realization of sin as, uh, as something that binds us all well I'd want to ask one last question for everyone this is just a, um, a free-for-all to, to end <laughs> and I want to ask basically is sex good or bad according to Bible and Quran um, and uh, so I, I was thinking of the Quranic episodes or passages which speak about um, paradise and um, men are promised um, mates sometimes known as Hori's from the Quranic Arabic expression Hordein Um, and uh, that that tradition is developed later on in um, different works Um, there's the episode in, in Matthew and Mark where the Sadducees ask Jesus um, about a particular woman who will be her husband in the resurrection and he says well um, actually in the resurrection we will be like angels basically there will be no no marriage in heaven I'd, I thought of those cases we don't have to speak about those but um, could yeah could anyone give, give everyone give their thoughts about that general question is, is sex Chesterton finally good or bad said that in Christianity you have a flaming affirmation of chastity and a flaming affirmation of marriage. And it simply affirms both. That would be my understanding of it. It's Chesterton where he's talking about Christianity as being like a chariot, which swerves from left to right and left to right. And it doesn't deny either of these things. It says both things are good. Orthodoxy. Right. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, in the case of Judaism, I mean, I think there is this even more robust... uh, you know, affirmation of um, of sex as uh, even a positive obligation within within the marriage context. Again, as uh, uh, with all of its uh, erotic connotations, as a metaphor for the relationship between God and Israel and Israel and God. Uh, and yet, I, I, I don't. I'm not. Uh, and yet, you don't have, uh, as uh, as far as I can call to mind, uh, kind of a notion of that the world to come, Olam Haba, or or the garden, uh, or the eschaton, um, you d- you don't have um, a a vision there of um, of sexual pleasure uh, as an aspect of the afterlife. Okay. There is, you know, a vision of the vision, the prophetic vision of restoration, the restoration of Israel um, as a nation uh, from its exile. Is, uh, is associated specifically with the joy of grooms and brides in Jeremiah uh, and elsewhere, um, uh, but not that kind of individual afterlife, interestingly. Okay. okay. Do you think that's yeah. because in Judaism you have to preserve Judaism? So the religion must affirm marriage and fecundity within marriage. Because you've got to keep the show on the road, and that's sort of essential. Right. Well, and, and well, I mean, there certainly is a connection, I think, between the affirmation of 
um, of, of of sex within uh, within marriage and the fact that um, Judaism is a religion that's also um, an ethnicity. Yes, um, that's what I meant. And so, right. So, so this is uh, uh, for, for for all of the benefit of uh, of the sexual relationship in uh, bringing together um, husband and wife and uh, and uh, mirroring God's relationship with Israel. There also is um, uh, the the notion of uh, of producing and expanding the people of Israel. I, I think that's that's true. I think we in, in the Quran in the Quran yes. we are told that you know the inhabitant of paradise will marry huris and and the Quran describe who are these huris um, saying that those who have never been touched before by men or or genies so sexuality is like eating or drinking is an essential and integral part of the anthropomorphic imagery of paradise So, and later Muslim theologians developed the idea that, you know, sexual enjoyment in this world is but um, fan prefiguration of the bliss in the paradise. Well, that's it for Lust and Chastity, friends. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Be sure to be with us for the next episode of Mining Scripture, where divine word and human reason meet.